Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I learned, um, you know, about a whole food plant-based diet. And at the time, I was uh, having chronic migraines, uh, which is by definition, you know, having headaches on 15 or more days per month, with eight of them being migraine. And in my case, I had like 12 migraines per month. So it was really bad. I was really desperate. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 164. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hello, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. Today I have with me Dr. Leila Dehgan. She is a doctor turned plant-based nutritionist who received her medical degree from the University of Vienna and completed her internship in the UK. Her personal experiences of overcoming health challenges through diet shift her professional interest to focus on the power of nutrition. After earning a plant-based nutrition certificate at eCornell, part of Cornell University, she obtained a master's of science degree in clinical and public health nutrition from the University College of London. Dr. Dehgan is a member of the advisory board for the Plant-Based Health Professionals UK as well as their education lead and has created the 21-day plant-based health challenge to encourage and invite more people to go plant-based. So this is a really fun episode. We talk about her plant-based story and a pretty dramatic story as far as her migraines and how debilitating they were and what she had to do to overcome them. So really great story there. How she became a nutritionist, what she enjoys helping clients with the most. We talked about a book chapter that she wrote for plant-based athletes. You might be surprised to hear what she thinks one of the most common issues that athletes have in their diets. We also talk about what food has to do with racism, food injustice, and health inequity, and whether vegan doctors are biased or not. Lots of great things that we talk about on this episode. I think you're gonna find it really entertaining, very informative, and that you will look up Dr. Dagon and follow her and see what she has to offer. So veggie lovers, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you every single day. 
Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you so much for leaving reviews about my podcast and my book. And I love you so much. So without further ado, here is Dr. Leila Dehkan. Dr. Leila Dehgan, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be on the show. Oh, we're going to have so much fun. Well, I just love hearing everybody's story. So let's get started with that. Tell me about your plant-based story, how you discovered plant-based nutrition, and how it's changed your life and your career. Well, um, you know, my plant-based journey actually started years ago in my, in my first year as a medical student. When I remember we were dissecting a human arm and I looked at the uh, muscle tissue in front of me, the fibers, and I thought, oh my God, that looks very much like, you know, the meat I, uh, I eat, you know, every night. And uh, so I found the idea uh, very kind of, you know, bizarre and gross. It really freaked me out. And uh, so I just couldn't eat uh, meat after that. So it had nothing to do with, uh, you know, uh, animals or health or anything else. It was just, you know, I was eating something which looked like human flesh. So I stopped doing that. But, you know, like most people, I also believed that I had to eat meat, not again for protein or anything. I just thought that's the way we humans have always done it. You know, I need to eat meat. And I'm also an Iranian. And I felt like, you know, kebab is part of my culture. So if I wanted to connect with my culture, I had to eat kebab. So once in a while, I would actually force myself to eat meat. And it is quite interesting because I have noticed that in a lot of women that Many women I talk to, they don't like meat, especially red meat, but they force themselves to eat uh, you know, meat because they feel they need the protein. So it's very common, apparently. And um, so it, it continued me being like kind of you know, semi-vegetarian, and uh, I do martial arts. Uh, and uh, later, I went to a martial arts school in Switzerland, and I met uh, many professionals, you know, martial artists, and they were vegetarian. And I felt so inspired by them. And I thought, ooh, if, you know, I don't know, I just thought they are vegetarians. I want to be fully vegetarian. So that's, you know, how I went fully vegetarian. And then years later, I got involved in animal rescue. And, you know, when you realize that animals are actually sentient beings, you cannot kind of um, abuse them. You cannot eat them. You know, you cannot consume them. But even then, I felt like being vegetarian was enough. You know, I wasn't harming, I wasn't eating them. And that uh, until I watched a video by Gary Urofsky. And, you know, when I, he uh, spoke about the dairy industry and what it involved, I, I had to go vegan. I actually went vegan then and there. And it is interesting because I used to be a pediatrician. And I felt a bit stupid because, you know, as a pediatrician, I should have known that if there is milk, <laughs> there is a baby somewhere. But uh, I hadn't made that connection that actually cows produce the, the milk, you know, for their babies. And I was taking that away from them. So I really felt stupid uh, at the time. But, uh, you know, I was glad. So I went vegan and I didn't have any problems. But by then I wasn't actually working as a doctor anymore because uh, I used to suffer from severe migraines. So I had actually to quit medicine because of that. And after that, I became a personal trainer, mainly because I thought, you know, exercise is preventive medicine. So I felt like, you know, I'm still helping people. And when I went vegan, luckily, I still think it was actually quite uh, lucky for me because people started asking me questions about protein, you know. So I had to educate myself. And uh, 
I came across a conference on nutrition in medicine, which was actually organized by the Plant-Based Health Professionals UK. And I was actually blown away by, uh, by what, uh, what I was hearing. I mean, you know how it is. As doctors, we don't really learn about nutrition. And although we know that many diseases are caused by lifestyle, I actually never considered that you know, we could just uh, change our lifestyle rather than just prescribing medicine and drugs to patients. So that conference really changed my life because I learned, um, you know, about a whole food plant-based diet. And at the time, I was uh, having chronic migraines, uh, which is by definition, you know, having headaches on 15 or more days per month, with eight of them being migraine. And in my case, I had like, you know, about uh, 12 migraines per month. So it was really bad. So I was really desperate. And after the conference, I came home, I was desperate, and I thought, you know what, if people can cure their cancers on a whole food plant-based diet, maybe I can help myself. So yeah, I transitioned to a no-oil whole food plant-based diet, and it was amazing how quickly I actually saw results. You know, within five days, my chronic headaches disappeared, and my migraines got better. And, uh, you know, it is... Um, I mean, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, the power of nutrition, it is so powerful. It is so mind-blowing. And I fell in love with nutrition. And I thought, you know, I really want uh, to learn more and share that with people, you know, if it helped me, because it really changed my life. I mean, it is now more than three years that I, you know, adopted a no-oil, whole-food, plant-based diet. And, uh, you know, it gave me back my health. And it also allowed me to dream again and plan and have a life. So, yes, it has really, it has been a life-changing experience. And I feel like now I have this um, secret and I want to share it with others. So that's why I'm so passionate about the whole food plant-based diet. Wow, what a beautiful story. And what an interesting path that you took to get there. You know, I, I think anatomy lab for many students can be just kind of a jarring experience when you're actually having to see like a dead body and you're cutting on it but for you to make the connection like oh my gosh this looks just like my dinner plate meal uh you know um but then it just took several steps before you were able to turn it back into something that helped you with your own health. Can you tell me a little bit more about your migraines? How old were you when you started experiencing migraines? And at what point in your life, because it sounds like it got debilitating after you had already become a practicing pediatrician. So tell me a little bit more about that history. Yes, I actually got them. I was very young, like eight or nine. And there's a family history of migraines. So in a way, my parents weren't really concerned. I mean, they took me to a lot of doctors and, you know, I had a lot of tests and scans, uh, but it was almost like kind of, okay, it runs in the family, everybody has them, and at some point she'll grow out of it. But in my case, I just simply never grew out of it, you know, it just got worse and worse. And um, so, I mean, I have written about it quite a lot and uh, talked about it because uh, it affected my life a lot. I didn't really have a social life, you know, even growing up as a teenager, because I spent a lot of my weekends and, you know, just my days in bed. And again, I didn't actually go to medical school because I wanted to kind of find a cure for myself. I just loved working with children. So that's why I went to medical school. But uh, again, being there... And, you know, I had to go to lectures, but because of my migrants, couldn't do that. And there was actually a year where I couldn't attend any lectures. I couldn't, I mean, I spent the whole year 
in bed, more or less. And uh, so it is for me, you know, I can't believe that something as simple as food, something that we eat every day, you know, three times a day, you know, something like that could have helped me. And I mean, I'm sure you know that uh, we know that some foods trigger migraines. So there, are, there is some literature about it. And I had actually doctors giving me advice. But the advice I was getting was wrong. I mean, one doctor actually uh, told me, oh, you know, yeast is the root of all and I should avoid it. And she said, you know, I was uh, in my first or second year of med school. And she said, you know, if you happen to have a little bit, you know, you are out, uh, you know, to a dinner party and they offer you and you can't say no, just go. And, you know, she showed me actually to her to bring it up. So that was the start of me developing an eating disorder because she actually introduced me to the idea of purging, like kind of, you know, and, uh, <laughs> that's it <laughs> and that was actually a private doctor I was paying money to see so uh, yes and that added to all my problems because you know having an eating disorder uh, made me eat a lot of junk food basically uh, so it was the opposite of what I should have eaten and so it, it is um, again looking back I don't like to say my migraine was a blessing in disguise uh, but that is actually what brought me where I am now and you were already vegan. You were still having migraines when you were vegan, but it sounds like when you transitioned to more whole foods, no oil is whenever you started having relief. So what, what aspects of your diet do you think were still triggering your migraines? That's a very good question because, you know, on uh, social media, you see people saying, oh, yes, when I went to vegan, my migraines disappeared. And I thought I wasn't one of the lucky ones. So, uh, yes, I, I'm sure dairy and animal products do play a role. But I think in my case, it was also just the amount of junk food I was eating, to be honest. And, and the lack of fruits and vegetables. When I look back, I had maybe one or two fruits per day. And now, you know... For breakfast, I have five, six different fruits. So it is the amount of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds I'm getting now with my food, actually. So, and, and even oil, it is interesting. I'm quite sensitive to oil. So if I go yeah. out, and you know, nowadays there are so many other vegan options out there, so you get a bit tempted sometimes, and, or you go out with friends, and there is something which is a bit oily, and I have it, I do see, I do get a headache. Uh, but even then, I have to say, the intensity is less than what it used to be. So, Thank goodness. Wow. I mean, chronic pain is debilitating, life-changing, and I can't imagine that you've suffered so many years. So I'm so grateful and thankful that you were able to find something that works for you, that allows you to live a life and be joyful, you know? I, that's just such a big deal. But I agree with you. I think everybody has a certain level of tolerance to process foods and there's some that they can tolerate more. So even just getting off animal products, getting off dairy, their inflammation goes down. And some people, they have to keep taking steps to really eliminate those processed foods. I'm one too. If I have too much oil, I start getting joint pains and I don't have an autoimmune disorder. So I don't really know what's causing it, but it's interesting. I think that whenever you become more in tune with your body, you start to figure that out. Like, oh, you know, I eat this way. And then when I have some of this, I don't feel right. 
either I get headaches or joint pains or something's off. So it's good to be able to tune into your body so that you can make those connections because each person for themselves has to figure that out. So like you said, you went to so many doctors and they were telling you all of this advice that was not right for you. You had to figure it out yourself. So thankfully you did. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. Yes, and uh, so you're right. People need to be in tune with their bodies. And I think we, we are not anymore. So that, uh, which is really sad. Yes, I, I agree. I was talking, we, my husband and I just started with a new personal trainer recently because we need to start getting, you know, that resistance training back in now post pandemic. But I was talking to him about how it's, especially here in the United States, I feel that a lot of people do not make the connection between what they eat and how they feel. They expect some external source to tell them that. So people usually just eat stuff, maybe they feel bad, but they don't attribute it to their food. They attribute it to all these other things. And earlier you were saying how it's so simple. Yes, it's simple, but it's so powerful. Food is so powerful. It can cause a lot of harm. It can cause a lot of benefits and advantages for us, but we really do have to make that connection. And we really have to just believe, first of all, so many people don't believe that food has anything to do with their health or how they feel, even doctors. <laughs> so I think, you know, all of us that are out there starting to spread that message, I think is going to help. Yes, and I must admit, if I wasn't desperate, I probably wouldn't have changed my diet because uh, when I changed, I thought it's a very drastic change, you know, no oil, you know, everybody's like, kind of, how do you actually cook without oil? You know, how, how is that even possible? And no oil, no salt, no sugar. And I must admit, even myself, you know, initially, I didn't really know what I was doing. So, you know, my uh, food was bland initially, but of course it has changed. Uh, but I was desperate. And I'm glad, I'm really glad that I actually came across that conference. Uh, and I, I still tell, you know, Dr. Shin Kassam, the founder of Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, I'm just so glad that I actually came to that conference and, you know, it was life-changing. So, yes, very happy about Yes. And yes, so now you're out there spreading the message and helping other people find their way. So that's great. Well, tell me how your perspective has changed. You talked about this a little bit. Now that you are mainly functioning as a nutritionist versus when you were a physician, tell me how your perspective has changed from those two different roles as a health professional. You know, as a physician, you know how it is. We ask about uh, someone's symptoms, history, and then we try to find the right drug to get rid of the symptoms or manage the symptoms. And in a way, I'm still asking those questions, but I'm also more interested in what uh, you know, my clients do on a daily basis. What do they eat? What do they believe? Uh, you know, I want to know about their foods every day, their habits, their social circle, and even their sleep. You know, how do they sleep? And then 
I try to come up with a kind of a plan, you know, like kind of changes they can make in their diet or new habits they can create. So in a way, I think the end goal is still the same, making people feel better. But uh, it is a different approach. And also, instead of focusing on just reducing or managing the symptoms, now I actually hope to kind of, you know, get to the root of the problem and sort that out rather than just, you know, saying, okay, for the time being, just mask the symptoms, get rid of the symptoms. So there is a, I think there is a, some difference, definitely, yes. Yes, a more upstream, more foundational approach. Let's actually get to what's causing this rather than just put a Band-Aid on top of it. I love that. What do you enjoy helping your clients with the most? I really enjoyed those moments when my clients discover that something they thought was impossible is actually, in fact, possible. You know, we have been programmed to believe that aches and pains, lack of energy, these are just part of life, part of the aging process. And in a way, it doesn't even matter how old people are. You know, I had clients in their 20s and clients in their 60s, and both of them believed that their knee pain was just part of getting old. So different age groups, but the same belief system. <laughs> so that can be right. And I like to help them see that they are actually in charge of their health. And when they feel empowered and they take action, uh, it is so amazing to see the difference even, uh, you know, in their faces. You know, there is already a, a, a change. And, you know, I have uh, I see different clients, you know, clients who want to lose weight or who have just gone vegan, but they feel they don't have any energy or they're losing hair on a vegan diet. Or people who, like myself, you know, suffer from migraine. And uh, they all have resigned themselves to a life of pain and suffering. And when they realize there is more, you know, they can actually have a different story than what their parents' story was or their friends, you know, because we always believe that, you know, we are just following a trajectory, you know, we're going to get old and lose this and that ability. And when they realize, no, it doesn't need to be like that. Uh, and, you know, they have that aha moment. And uh, it, it is a very good feeling. And I really enjoy that because I feel like, you know, it's the same uh, what I went through myself. And uh, it's powerful. It's a powerful, actually, moment, yes. Absolutely. That makes such a huge impact what you believe. I remember a few years ago, before I turned 40, I had a friend who had already turned 40, and she told me that, you know, once you turn 40, everything just starts falling apart. And I was like, really? Oh my gosh, I haven't heard this. And I started getting scared. Like what happens at 40? Everything falls apart. And, you know, I sat down and thought about it and I decided I don't want to believe that. I feel really good. I don't think that an arbitrary number is going to suddenly change how I feel. And when I had another discussion, the same discussion with another friend, we both decided, nope, we're not going to believe that. <laughs> we're simply not going to believe it. And nothing has fallen apart on me yet. And I'm going to turn 42 next month. So we'll see. Maybe for me, it won't happen till 42 or 43. But I think it, beliefs are so important. And you're able to take your clients, take that coach perspective and help them challenge those beliefs and those thoughts, because if we don't challenge them, then we won't make any effort to change. We'll just accept. 
will just accept. This is just how it is. I'll always have knee pain. I'll just always feel tired until I die. You know, we just accept it instead of trying to address the issue from what you were saying, that root cause. Why do I feel tired all the time? Why is my knee hurting? Can I do something about it? Yes, and I also believe that, you know, the belief systems we have actually uh, kind of push us to a, a certain lifestyle. I had a friend, he was actually a doctor himself, and uh, I remember he used to eat a lot of junk food. And, and whenever I told him, like, kind of, you know, I, I didn't tell him, like, to stop it because I didn't, you know, uh, kind of make uh, the connection myself. But he used to say, oh, I'm going to get diabetes anyway. It is in my family. Then he would go on and Aww. eat that junk food. So, obviously, having that belief system made him actually eat in a certain way that would probably cause him have diabetes later in life, which is, you know, sad because it, he could have prevented that. It was a self-fulfilling prophecy, basically. <laughs> yeah, that that's, wow. That's a very interesting story. And I'm sure many of us have done the same thing. Almost use it as an excuse, but as you use it as an excuse, you're reinforcing the actual thing that's going to happen. <laughs> you know? Well, do you have any stories you'd like to share with us about a client that had a great outcome or a, a change that was really impressive to you? Uh, yes. I, um, I had a client who suffered from fibromyalgia. And these are difficult cases. And, you know, he came to me. He was a young guy, actually. He used to be very active, had a good job. He used to do triathlons. And he, was, he had a very social kind of, you know, very active social life. And then he had a viral infection. And he developed fatigue. He couldn't focus anymore. He couldn't concentrate and work. He was tired all the time. He had brain fog. And when he came to see me, he already had included meditation into his life. He was working part-time now, you know, from home, and that was before the pandemic. And he was doing, like, kind of meditation for about two hours a day. And he had changed his diet, so he was trying to eat more plant-based. And I must admit, uh, I was a bit reluctant to take him on because uh, fibromyalgia, and I, I thought, you know, gosh, I have never dealt with it. And he was the first uh, person, the first client with fibromyalgia that I saw. But I like a good challenge. And I thought, you know, I went through a similar thing with my own migraine. So let me see if what I have learned can help him. So we worked together for more than two months. I take a holistic approach. So I don't just focus on nutrition. I like to give my clients exercises and breathing exercises and some other techniques that I have developed over the years. And it was amazing to see the transformation. I mean, he started uh, by doing kind of five minutes of simple exercises. And towards the end, you know, after two months, he was going to the gym. He was working out again. The brain fog was gone. And he told me he was almost back to how he used to be. So uh, it was amazing. And, you know, since then, I have seen more fibromyalgia clients. But he was the first one. And uh, so, yes, it, it was a good feeling because I guess... I could relate to how he was feeling that he had lost his life, that, you know, yes. he had all this good life and now he was, you know, at home all the time. So I could relate to him. So seeing him change and get his life back was a very good and kind of moment for me. Wow, that's amazing. Well, kudos to you for being brave and having the courage to explore something new you hadn't done before and 
make a huge difference in someone's life to help him. I agree that fibromyalgia is one of those things that can be so frustrating to so many people because it gets thrown in that bucket of, ah, and we don't know, like nothing, none of these things, serious things are causing it. We've ruled all of these things out. So it must be fibromyalgia. I know it's debilitating. Maybe take these pain meds, but we don't really know what causes it or how to cure it. So to be able to help somebody that's in that situation that probably heard that from so many other providers and practitioners, I'm sure he was so happy and so grateful to you. Yes, I think it was just, as I said, because I had a similar experience with my migraine that, you know, doctors were frustrated with me. They didn't know what else to offer me. And I had tried everything. (laughs) You know, I had actually stopped writing which medications I was taking because I couldn't be bothered anymore. And all the, I had so many um, alternative medicines, like kind of weird, strange treatments I had tried. You know, it's just, and yeah. There wasn't anything else uh, healthcare professionals, like doctors, could uh, offer, you know. So I could relate to him. And I'm happy, yes. I have to say I, I was very happy that I could help him, actually. Wow. Well, let's go back to talking about sports. You mentioned that you have practiced martial arts, which is super impressive and make sure I will not get on your bad side. But you also finished writing a book chapter for a book entitled Plant-Based Nutrition and Clinical Practice. And this chapter is about plant-based athletes. This is a hot topic, especially with the documentary, The Game Changers. Uh, Robert Cheek just published The Plant-Based Athlete. So there's a lot of people that are interested in this. A lot of people that think it's not not healthy, people, of course, that advocate for it. So what do you want people to know about plant-based diets and athletes? You know, I'm sure you have heard it and maybe you have used it yourself. We keep saying as plant-based healthcare professionals that, you know, as long as you're consuming enough calories, you are consuming enough protein. And although we use that to actually reassure people that they don't need to worry about their protein and a plant-based diet, I believe there is more in those words because the first part says consuming enough calories. And I think that sums it up so nicely because many athletes, I'm I'm just not talking about plant-based athletes, athletes in general, they actually fail to meet their recommended energy needs. And that's really well established in the literature. So that is a common problem among athletes, vegans or non-vegans, doesn't matter. Now, of course, it is more of a problem for plant-based athletes because we know that plants have low calorie density. And since athletes have higher energy needs, they really need to make sure that um, they eat enough. And that is the one big mistake, actually, plant-based athletes and hobby exercises make. So, you know, and I think it is, uh, what they do is usually they, when they fail or to kind of improve their athletic uh, kind of performance, they always think it is protein. It's not protein. It is the lack of calories, the lack of energy. And we humans are actually energy first systems. So, and our preferred energy source is carbohydrates. And we know carbohydrates are actually a clean fuel because they are, there are no metabolic byproducts. So the body actually wants to burn carbohydrates and store it as glycogen for later. And obviously, when it comes to micronutrients, you know, carbohydrates, protein, and fats, whenever we overconsume, they are going to be stored as fat. Uh, but The point I'm trying to make is that carbohydrates are the main energy source for our working muscles and brain. 
And people should not be obsessed with protein because uh, if they don't consume enough carbohydrates, so there isn't enough energy for the body, the body will actually uh, burn fat and protein as fuel. So that excess protein will be actually used to, uh, will not be used to build muscle. It will be used as energy. And it's not a good uh, kind of, you know, energy source. So I think people should, uh, you know, come away from that protein obsession and focus more on carbohydrates, you know. And, you know, you mentioned Robert Chick, and actually I listened to one of his interviews last week, and he said that his protein intake is just about 10% of his calories. And there are many professional athletes who are, you know, still competing, and they don't even count their macronutrients. They don't care about, you know, how much protein they are getting. So as long as athletes, um, and the same goes for hobby exercises, as long as they eat whole plant foods and make sure that they are getting enough calories, then they'll be fine. And by eating foods rather than, you know, uh, taking a protein powder, for example, they are also consuming more micronutrients which is really important, you know, and one of the main benefits for athletes who adopt a plant-based diet is uh, quick recovery. And it is because of all the antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds in plants. So my advice is just eat foods, whole plant foods, and, but eat enough to actually meet your energy needs. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm glad that that reaffirms everything I've been saying because that to me makes the most sense. I'm shocked at the statistic you talk about how most athletes really aren't meeting their energy needs. Why? Why is this happening? There are a few different reasons. I think first of all, uh, athletes need to have a lower body mass, you know, kind of they need to watch their weight. And again, uh, depending on which sport we are talking about, we see that more obviously with uh, people who do gymnastics, for example, and where the body weight is very important. So because of that, I think they are not calculating their energy needs properly. Hey, humans, I know you want to eat healthier, but feel strapped for time. And even the thought of meal planning and cooking stresses you out. Well, have you considered trying a meal kit service? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that make it easy to stick to a healthy living routine. Find recipes for every lifestyle, including plant-based diets. Green Chef delivers quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients, including low added sugar and sodium smart options. You get to choose from 80 plus flavor packed options that allow you to take back time in your kitchen with dinner ready in 30 minutes and lunch in 10. Try 15 plus new recipes every week. But here's the best part. Green Chef delivers everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, and delicious meals directly to your doorstep. Each meal kit includes pre-measured ingredients, as well as some produce that comes already pre-chopped and custom sauces that are pre-made in-house. They also provide their recipe cards and the meals are really simple to make. It's a delicious, fresh, home-cooked meal without the hassle. What I love the most about Green Chef is that it takes the stress out of cooking. The recipes are easy to follow and everything you need is included. So even the less experienced cooks in your house can make a delicious home cooked meal. 
it's perfect for those seasons in your life that you're really busy with your kids' sports and school events. Hello, spring, and time is limited, especially if you want fresh, home-cooked, healthy meals to put on the table. So if you're feeling frustrated by the lack of time to eat healthy and you are ready to try Green Chef and see how easily you can integrate it into your healthy lifestyle, go to greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use the code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with products intended to bring your mind and body back in harmony. They consider themselves a by women and for women company, and they now offer a nutrient-dense green powder called Daily Nutrigreens. Myself and my staff here at Nourish Wellness all tried the Daily Nutrigreens, and we loved it. The Daily Nutrigreens contain an immune antioxidant and detox blend, along with prebiotics, probiotics, and over 35 fruits and veggies. It also contains other important nutrients, such as B12, iron, iron, zinc, and selenium. The daily greens are certified organic and all you have to do is mix it with water, but you can also easily add to your smoothies, your oatmeal, or your baked goods. The daily Nutri-Greens are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. And another bonus is that the packaging is compostable. Yay! When I tried the apple banana daily Nutri-Greens, I was surprised by the pleasant and mild flavor. It was easy to prepare and drink and didn't leave any aftertaste. And I felt great afterwards. It's really easy to create a daily ritual around your green drink. Integrate it into your daily self-care routine. A green powder is one way to fill the gap in daily nutrition and is an easy and convenient way to get in your greens. These powders are a great way to add more nutrients into your diet during busy times, travel, and transitions in life when you don't have time or access to fresh green veggies. If you're interested in trying Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens, head to myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, that's D-R-Y-A-M-I, for 15% off Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens and much more. That's myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I, at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And uh, again, and also... Uh, we need to calculate that on the days when we are not training, we need less uh, calories, but still enough. And I think some athletes, what they do is on those days, they actually under eat. That's my theory. So, <laughs> so and I think it is just because of that. And uh, yes, and also they rely too much of, uh, on protein powders, which is... Uh, but what they don't under, uh, realize is actually just going to be used as uh, fuel, not as uh, kind of you know, to build the muscles. So, yes, yeah. I mean, that is actually, it is interesting. When, if you read a sports nutrition book, it is mentioned 
all the time, you know, make sure that you are getting enough <laughs> calories, you know, you are getting enough energy and you need to get it from carbohydrates. So the focus should really be on carbohydrates. Yes. No, I think the whole protein excess and the protein powders is really funny because the way our bodies work, it's not like you can store all that protein. You're just going to metabolize it. You're, you, you can't just like put it away somewhere and then your muscles just get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's not how it works. But a lot of people don't understand that. So they just think, okay, I'll just keep packing on the protein powder. It's going to make muscle somehow, but you know, that's not the way it's working. So yeah, that's really interesting. How, how much do you think diet culture is influencing this for athletes? You kind of mentioned it, gymnasts, you know, there's definitely some sports where they purposely have to lose weight, like maybe for wrestling and things like that in order to meet a certain weight classification. So do you think that in those sports, the athletes are chronically under eating? or maybe even doing like the under eating, binging sort of cycle, triggering some eating disorders. And then, but overall, they're just not really meeting their energy needs. Yes, I think uh, you're right. It is probably they are chronically under eating, to be honest. And that's why they get all these, uh, you know, they actually um, uh, get into troubles. You know, when you're not getting enough calories, what they don't realize, it's not just the energy. It's also foods come, you know, with micronutrients important essential micronutrients so if you're under eating you're not getting enough of those micronutrients and, uh, and just getting taking supplements it's not going to replace you know real food so that is a huge problem and uh, i think it's also just uh, the culture around the sports there's a lot of pressure on them to perform well and uh, uh, it's a lot of pseudoscience you know and I think uh, I haven't actually worked with professional athletes. I have worked with amateur athletes. And whenever I tell them that, you know, they sh don't need to take protein powders, some of them are relieved. They say, oh, gosh, then I don't need to waste my money. <laughs> you know, I had clients telling me, oh, my wife is going to be so happy to hear that. Uh, but some of them are like, kind of, as soon as I tell them you don't need that, uh, they actually stop listening to me because they believe, uh, you know, it is much easier to take a food and say, uh, believe that that is going to actually make me build muscle rather than doing the work, going to the gym, doing the right exercises. Because, uh, yes, I mean, training, it is, we're still talking about sports, you know, you still need to do the training, um, you know, put in the hours. So, yes. Yes, there's no magic pill that you can take that's just going to inflate your muscles like Popeye. <laughs> that's the thing a lot of people expect. And so you do have to do the work. You have to stress the muscles. That's how our bones get strong too. We got to stress our bones. We got to stress our muscles. That's what creates the strength and the bulk that we want. But in order to create that, we also have to make sure that we're eating enough macro and micronutrients. But like you said, the package matters. I got into a little bit of an Instagram debate with somebody the other day, somebody that was claiming that it doesn't matter what athletes eat because they do need a lot of calories. So that at least they understood that, that athletes do need a lot of calories, especially high-performing athletes that exercise a lot. But then their premise was, so it doesn't matter. As long as they're getting the calories, it doesn't matter. So what would you say to that? And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, 
I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Well, it does matter. We know that. Short term, yes, athletes can get away with a lot. And, you know, especially athletes who need eight, 9,000 calories per day, you know, a bit of processed foods may actually help them to reach that uh, high energy need. So, yes, they get away with a little bit, but we always need to think long term. You know, you don't want to do anything which will jeopardize your health long term. And again, you know, I have actually told, you know, some of the amateur athletes I was working with that, you know, it's okay, you can have the Beyond Burger meat and, you know, it is processed, but it is fine because you need, you know, to reach those calorie needs. Uh, but again, short term. If you do it long term, you are going to see the lack of essential micronutrients. We are sometimes too focused on macronutrients and forget about the micronutrients, you know, calcium, yes. iron, and uh, so many all the B vitamins and yeah so I think yes short term yes especially when they are young they can get away with a lot but as they get kind of you know older uh, it kind of I think sometimes with nutrition the effect is accumulative you know mm-hmm. so yeah Absolutely. And the antioxidants too, if you're only eating processed and ultra processed foods, you may get enough calories. Maybe you're going to get the proper macronutrients, but you may not feel as good. You know, it's not helping you with that recovery. It's not helping you just keep everything strong inside and you need those antioxidants and the fiber. Fiber is so important. Cool. Well, let's switch gears and talk about a completely different topic that I find very interesting and I don't feel like I know enough about, which is the relationship between food, racism, food injustice, and health inequity. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm actually glad you asked this question. This is an area I'm very passionate about. Well, to start with, uh, we know that health inequity actually exists. We know that because of the statistics. For example, in the UK, two-thirds of black adults are overweight or obese. 
cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, all of these diseases are more common in people of South Asian and uh, African Caribbean background. And I know it is the same in the US, you know. And last year, uh, we witnessed actually how COVID-19 disproportionately affected ethnic minority groups, again, both in the UK and US. And I think actually COVID-19 highlighted the long-standing health disparities and social injustices that you know, ethnic minorities face. Now, the question is, okay, we have this health disparity, but why is there this uh, health disparity? And if we want to um, kind of answer that question, we need to adopt and assess the situation through a social, economic, and political lens. And when we do that, we see many factors that actually link food with health inequity and racism. I'm going to give you some examples. For example, one is access to food. You know, uh, people from ethnic minority groups uh, have poor access to healthy food, and one reason is the infrastructure. We have food deserts both in the UK and the US, where it is basically difficult to buy fresh produce because the shops don't offer it. And then people have to travel, you know, long distance to another shop to get those products. But then they may not have um, the money or the means to travel. And another thing, you know, I see a lot, you know, uh, in the vegan and plant-based communities is that we keep saying, you know, legumes and grains are cheap and we tell people go and buy in bulk. That is true. Yes, uh, legumes and grains are cheap, but nobody wants to eat beans and rice all the time. So they need to know how to cook. And a lot of people actually lack cooking skills. And uh, so that is one issue, and it is very common. And another one is that, you know, sometimes people can't actually afford to buy in bulk for different reasons. You know, I worked in the community for over um, a year, and I had clients who simply did not have the space to store anything. You know, we, ha we had a whole family living in a small room. There was no space actually to go and buy, I don't know, legumes and grains in bulk and then leave it in the room somewhere. And I had a client who didn't have a freezer. And he had to use a friend's freezer. And because of his job, he had actually to cook in advance and freeze his food. And obviously, when you're using somebody else's freezer, that friend is going to have an opinion you know, about your food. And uh, so I wouldn't call it peer pressure, but uh, he told me that you know, he was making all this lasagna with meat because that is what his friend actually likes. So we don't, you know, kind of acknowledge all these different situations and issues that people face in the community. And also, again, the, the kind of employment these marginalized groups have. You know, for example, if somebody has two jobs or their job is physically and emotionally demanding, and we know that, you know, there is racism and discrimination, and we know that that causes stress. So when you deal with all of that, it really... Uh, it doesn't leave you with a lot of time and emotional and uh, kind of mental energy to actually come home and prepare food. So it is really easy just to go to McDonald's and Happy Meal. You know, it provides a quick, cheap and satiating meal. And these are the factors that we need to take into consideration. And it is, it has to do like kind of, you know, with the racism that these people, uh, you know, encounter and uh, the stress and just, uh, you know, poor finances and the, the social factors, and also culture. You know, the mainstream vegan and plant-based organizations are white. Uh, you know, we don't really talk much about it. Uh, and just by saying that, you know, our ancestors or our cultures uh, eat predominantly plant-based, 
doesn't change the fact that the mainstream veganism is white. What that means is that they are actually, actually addressing white middle class groups. So all the materials they are producing is actually aimed at those people. I mean, recently I have noticed that a lot of articles, uh, you know, in vegan kind of newsletters, uh, they add an image of a person of a color, but the content doesn't reflect that image. So the materials we are producing actually ignores and overlooks a large percentage of community. And, you know, I had a client actually in the UK and she looked at the UK Eat Well guide and she said, I can't see the kind of foods that I eat. So, you know, everything is actually uh, culturally not sensitive enough. And people of color don't see themselves represented. And I think as healthcare professionals, if we truly believe that a plant-based diet actually has health benefits and can help those communities that are affected by health inequity, then it is on us to actually find ways to engage them, to get them involved and help them to transition to a plant-based diet. Yes. And to also have that empathy, open-mindedness, awareness of our privilege. It can be difficult because we're in our own lives all the time and that's our reality. What we see on social media is our reality. So we forget that there's people that live differently than us. It reminds me of my previous job where I worked a lot with uh, a lot of Spanish speaking only moms, migrant farm workers. And these people work so hard, often two jobs, working in the orchards, like you said, stress, anxiety, lots of kids to feed. And whenever I would think of, okay, what can I, what can I tell them to help them feed their children a little bit more health promoting because a lot of the kids had constipation, chronic abdominal pain. And it just felt very overwhelming because I can't imagine coming home. You just maybe have a few minutes. You haven't slept very much transitioning from one job to another. The kids are hungry. You're just trying to just feed them. You don't even have the time to really even think to the next step. You're just, everybody just needs to get fed. I just need to move on to the next thing. So we, we do have to, we have to be sensitive to that. We have to have empathy and we have to put ourselves in other people's shoes so that we can better help them with their situation, their individual situations, because people live in lots of different ways. So, so thank you so much for addressing that. What else do you think we can do as a community, uh, you know, besides the materials and the education that we do, what else do you think would be helpful? I think it is really important to uh, actually help those people to see themselves represented. You know, representation matters a lot. And uh, I know there was a recent, was it last year, there was a health summit, uh, which was just featuring, you know, healthcare professionals of color. And I really liked that because I thought that is what we need. Um, now, just because somebody is a person of color doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they are aware of the problems that uh, kind of those uh, underprivileged ethnic minority groups face. So we need to bear that in mind as well. So, but at least when they look at those people and they say, okay, you know, same background, same culture, uh, they are more likely to talk to those people and believe them. So I think, you know, that is a very huge step. We need to start doing that, but also just talking to them. 
you know, asking them questions, being curious, you know, what is going in your life? What food do you eat? Tell me more. And why are you eating what you are eating? I had a client again in the community and um, she was actually from Bangladesh. So her culture, they eat a lot of fish. But when I was asking, so what do your kids eat? She said fish and chips. So not the kind of, you know, fresh fish or whatever, just fish and chips. Because they go to school here in the UK, and that is what they, they hear from their schoolmates. And so she said, you know, they don't eat anything else. I have just to cook fish and chips for them. And then, obviously, as a mother, she was just eating whatever was left over. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, just understanding why are they eating what they are eating and seeing how we can help them to just make maybe one small change it doesn't need to be a big change. I mean, with this lady, actually, what I did was just telling her to, because she was having like maybe two or three portions of food per week. And I, was just, I just helped her to have one piece of food per day. So that was an improvement in her case. And actually, she managed to lose a bit of weight, you know, following those, uh, that advice. So I think we shouldn't go in trying to change their lives, you know, completely. It's just not possible. They need to take small steps. And we need to listen to them with an open mind and curious mind. And, and then you know, give them advice. But small steps. Small yes. manageable steps, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, taking that coach perspective, which is each individual has the right to create their own goals. Not everybody's going to want the same thing, you know? So starting with what is it that you're trying to achieve the most right now? Maybe it's just getting more sleep. Maybe it is just being able to sit down and relax for five minutes a day. Whatever it is, each person has to decide what it is they want more, what is they're motivated, because then you can help augment that motivation and find strategies to help them reach that goal before you move on to the next the next baby step that you're going to take. So all of that is really great. A really quick question that I feel can be controversial in our community, which is the intersection between veganism and being a health professional. So I've, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, from outside the community, well, we can't trust anything they say because they're vegan. And so they're going to be biased. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, let's uh, look at veganism. I mean, veganism is defined as ending the exploitation of animals. But when we consider it in depth, we we realize actually veganism at its core is about compassion. And you mentioned it actually earlier, as healthcare professionals, uh, whatever we do should actually be informed by compassion. And when we look at the consequences of uh, animal exploitation, which includes animal agriculture, we see that, you know, it has negative effects on human health. You know, I don't want to go into the details. I'm just going to just say a few words like, you know, the zoonotic diseases or the problem with antibiotic resistance. All of that comes, you know, because of our abusive interaction with animals. So, and of course, we know that uh, the long-term dangers of meat consumption. So I feel like as healthcare professionals, even if we don't care for animals and their welfare, but we care for our patients, don't we? So we should oppose anything that causes harm to humans. And I think in this case, it is the way we treat and exploit animals. So in a way, I really feel like um, healthcare professionals actually should speak up against the you know, animal exploitation just because they want, you know, better health for their patients. So 
Now, does being vegan make me biased? Yes and no. I mean, if we think about it, we are all biased in one way or another when it comes to lifestyle. And nutrition is obviously part of it. I mean, um, if a doctor smokes, for example, and he wants to give advice to his uh, patients that they should stop smoking, he will probably phrase his advice uh, against smoking in a different way than I would do. You know, the tone might be different. And of course, patients will pick up on that, don't they? So I, don't, I think we, should, we shouldn't actually deny that we are biased. But the question is, do we let that affect our practice uh, and advice or not? That is the main kind of, you know, thing we should focus on. And does that actually cloud our judgment when we read a paper? A paper? And I, uh, to be honest, when I observe other plant-based healthcare professionals, I believe that most of them, they are not actually affected by their uh, veganism, you know, when they uh, approach their pay, uh, clients and patients. I mean, I personally, I always tell my clients who want to adopt a plant-based diet for health, I tell them about the blue zone populations who live long, healthy lives on a predominantly plant-based diet. So they don't need to be 100% plant-based, right? And I tell them that. But at the same time, I tell them, look, nutrition is just one part, an important part of how we can be healthy. Uh, but it is also the part we have control over. So I tell that to my clients as well. And I also tell them that, you know, it also depends on what conditions they have. If somebody has like kind of, you know, suffers from migraine like I did, you know, severe migraines, obviously I would tell them, look, you probably do need to be 100% plant-based without any oil, you know. So I give them uh, the evidence, but the anecdotal evidence sometimes, because sometimes we don't have, uh, you know, I haven't come across any pa good papers on migraine and nutrition, for example. I know Dr. Barnard has done a study, um, a research a few years ago, but that was a small one. So I give them the evidence at the, and tell them, look, you don't need to be 100%, but you may actually benefit more if you're actually 100% plant-based. And I also tell them, like, uh, veganism is really about a lifestyle, you know? Uh, but plant-based, you can be 100% plant-based and still not be vegan. So, mm -hmm. Yes, so many good points, and I agree. They've done studies on physicians, actually, those that don't exercise themselves are less likely to prescribe exercise for patients. You know, so bias exists in both directions, right? People get concerned that as vegans, we're biased for talking more about plant-based diets, but also if you're leading a lifestyle that may not match up with the current guidelines of nutrition and exercise, then you may not be as likely to mention it if you don't do it yourself. You know, it's that, that cognitive dissonance there, <laughs> but I agree. And I think I do the same thing too. Whenever I talk to patients about thing about strategies or options that are anecdotal, I tell them, Hey, there's not any good studies on this. I've observed it in a few patients. It's helped a few patients. This is what I know about it. You may want to consider giving it a try. Let me know if you want to try it, but you're honest about it. You're honest about what the research shows, what's out there, what, what's not even been researched or what hasn't been researched in that way. Because, you know, usually when we do research studies, it's a very specific research question. It's not just like the shotgun approach and you just know everything at once. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about studies. It's very specific whenever we, we do research. 
Tell me about animals first on the second. I don't know anything about that. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I started actually doing that last year. It is a campaign called Animals First on the Second, and it was founded actually just a few years ago in 2017. And the idea is that we fast on the second of each month. So some people fast for 24 hours, some people for more. Um, I sometimes actually fast less than 24 hours. And we put a mark on our hands, which symbolizes an empty plate and a cutlery, kind of you know, cutlery that we haven't used. And the idea is that we encourage um, you know, uh, people to take pictures and share on social media. And hopefully other people who kind of see those pictures or see their mark on our hands, they ask us questions. So it's like kind of, you know, we are trying to raise awareness about factory farmed animals uh, who are abused. And you know, especially when they are transported, they sometimes go without food and water for days and before going to the slaughterhouse and being slaughtered. So it's just about, uh, you know, just raising awareness. And it has grown quite a lot. And I joined uh, last year and it is just good. Uh, I mean, I believe in, uh, you know, creating positive energy. And I think, you know, even if, especially in the pandemic, I wasn't really going out. So nobody was seeing my mark on my hands. But still, just, uh, I think, you know, the energy we are creating hopefully will uh, have some impact. So, Yes, the intention, you know, that intention, the awareness. So interesting. Have you ever gone to a vigil for the animals that are being slaughtered or anything like that before? No, I haven't. And to be honest, I don't know if I could. I mean, I, um, I used to be quite involved in animal rescue, you know, a dog rescue. And I have visited a few public shelters in Romania and Bosnia and uh, what I have seen there, you know, I came back, it was very traumatic, you know, I cried for weeks and uh, so, and I can imagine that it is even worse when you go to a vigil because, you know, those animals are about to be killed. So I admire activists who do that, but I don't know if I could ever do that. Maybe, I don't know, but I haven't been yet, so. Yeah, I agree. Even just thinking about it kind of turns my insides. So I think it does take a very special person to be able to, you know, keep vigil and, and do that kind of activism. But I'm glad that those people exist and that we all have our different ways that we can raise awareness and help not just animals, but our fellow humans too, you know? Okay, yes. Well, I'd love to know, and you talk about how you were a lover of processed foods before. So I would love to know what was one of your favorite foods before you went plant-based and what is your favorite food now? Well, as I said, yes, I used to eat a lot of junk food and uh, probably muffin. You know, sometimes I would actually have one or two muffins with coffee as my dinner. That was my dinner, you know. <laughs> so I have a sweet tooth. And uh, so, uh, so, yes, I love you know, chocolate. And actually, when I went vegan, cheese was not a problem for me. For me, it was like, kind of, where can I get actually good vegan chocolate? So, uh, yes, obviously, I'm not having all of that anymore. And at the moment, you know, I would say my favorite meal, um, you know, of the day is actually breakfast. And I love porridge, you know, simple porridge mm -hmm. with some bananas and dates and flaxseed. That's it. It's simple, very easy to make. And I actually never get tired of it. Obviously, when I'm out and they offer something else with the porridge, you know, some other foods, I'll have it. But at home, I'll keep it very simple. And yes, I'll have that almost every day. So. Well, we could definitely have breakfast together because that's what I eat six days a week. On Sunday, I usually make something special for the family. Uh, 
but I love it. What kind of oats do you, or do you use oats or what kind of grain do you use for your porridge? I, I use oats, uh, just the simple ones. Uh, I know I should probably get a better quality, but uh, it's difficult to find it. So where I shop, mm -hmm. they just have just the normal oats, yeah. Yeah, my favorite is the thick rolled oats. I love, I love how creamy they get. Oh, so good. Love them. And I think oatmeal just feels so good in my body and it just lasts a long time. My, my body just feels perfect. It just feels like the perfect fuel for me. So I'm glad that we have that in common. We could have breakfast together. <laughs> what do you wish more people knew? You know, I don't think the problem is that um, we as a society lack knowledge. When I speak to people, and it doesn't matter, you know, where it is, I'm actually amazed at how much people know. People know what is the right thing to do, what is the right thing to eat, and what are good habits. And we usually uh, believe that, you know, um, knowledge is key to action, that uh, knowledge, uh, you know, translates to kind of in, uh, into action. Uh, but I think people know a lot, but knowledge doesn't actually guide their actions and behaviors. And I think the reason for that is because the heart is not involved. And if we want to get our hearts on board, we need to have the courage and stop living in denial. And we need imagination so that we can feel the pain of others. And when we do that, we actually we feel inspired to take action on the knowledge we already have. So uh, I think... If I wanted people to do anything is uh, adopt a more imagination and stop living in denial. Well, that's just beautiful. And I think you're right. I think that in general, we do know a lot. Sometimes we have the details wrong. Sometimes we have some of the facts wrong, obviously, because we have to help with the whole protein myth, you know, but it really is about that intention like we were talking about before what are you going to do with that knowledge what choices are you going to make so yeah that's very beautiful i'd love to know what personal habit you are most proud of and why good question i have to say journaling i mean i started actually keeping a diary when i was very young after we had to move to austria and i'm iranian i was born actually in iran but we moved to austria when i was a child and i hadn't made any new friends in the new country and obviously i had my migrants so i started keeping a diary and i started writing about you know my feelings my thoughts and anything else i felt like you know i had to share and I still do that. And I, uh, sometimes I scribble actually a few pages until I feel like I have reached a solution or answer or until I just feel better. And uh, yes, it, it has kind of kept me sane. And uh, I think it's the best therapy and it is free. So, yeah. Do you go back and read your entries or you just kind of write and let it be? Uh, no, I don't go back and read because sometimes I can't even read my own scribble anymore. So. <laughs> I'm with you. I cannot read my writing most of the time. I've kept a journal off and on since I was really little, but I think sometimes I get curious. I have my journals from when I'm younger. I want to go back and read because I'm pretty sure it'll be pretty hilarious part of the time at least. <laughs> the things I was worried about when I was younger that probably were not a big deal at all. <laughs> Layla, this has been so great. Thank you so much for your presence today, for all the work that you do and, you know, just all the, the beauty and love that you're putting out into the world. 
I'm sure my listeners would love to find out how to connect with you. So please let us know how we can connect with you and what products and services that you offer. Uh, Mel, I'm on social media, um, both on Facebook and Instagram. I even have a Twitter account, which I don't use. But I'm more active on Facebook, and I also have a website where people can find out more about me and the projects I'm involved in. And I write a few articles, you know, about um, nutrition, obviously, and uh, racism. So these are the topics, I'm, and food justice. These are the topics I'm really interested in. So, and uh, I have given a few talks, so people can find links uh, to my talks on my website, which is um, com. And uh, yes, they can book a consultation with me if they want to, to the Plant-Based Health Online. I'm a nutritionist uh, at Plant-Based Health Online. Again, they can find the details on my website. Perfect. And are people able to work with you separately from Plant-Based Health Online as well or only through Plant-Based Health Online? Only through Plant-Based Health Online. Okay. Because I think right now, U.S. people can't book through there, right? Uh, they can with me right now. because I'm an nutritionist. Oh, it is okay. different. Yes. They Perfect. cannot book with okay. the, you know, uh, the lifestyle kind of uh, physicians, but they can book with me. Yes. It's different. Excellent. And then that textbook that you wrote a chapter for plant-based nutrition and clinical practice that's going to be out next year hopefully fingers crossed yes <laughs> yeah super exciting that's really really exciting thing thank you well if you can leave us with one call to action for the week what is one thing that we can do this week to improve our health and longevity well it's not going to be with nutrition with diet i love stretching and if I could give one advice to people is do some stretching. If you don't have time, just do 10 minutes. If you have more time, do half an hour of stretching. And any good stretching session should actually include uh, holding each position for about 20 to 30 seconds and then releasing it. And I find it feels like a full body massage. It's very relaxing. And um, one of my martial arts teachers used to say, it helps you get rid of the cobwebs and it is free. So, you know, do more stretching. That is, uh, that would be my advice. Yes. Oh, I love that. You're the first to give that recommendation. I love it. And I agree. Stretching feels so good. And it really helps us, especially as we age, that things don't get all tight and sore in different places. So wonderful advice. Also with our sedentary lifestyles, you know, we need that. Absolutely. Yes. And through the pandemic, we've done so much sitting, so much sitting and staying in one place. So getting that stretching you know, uh, routine in place, it's good because it doesn't feel intimidating. It, it's not like go out and run a marathon. Just stretch for 10 minutes. You can do that. Anybody can do that. Let's just integrate that into our lives. Layla, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your energy. I appreciate everything you do. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our talk. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.